I'd like for you to turn with me today, if you would, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 29. It's a lengthy passage of Scripture, but I think it's important for us to be able to understand the full picture of what's going on here. And there's probably nothing more important that I could say today than what the Word of God says. So, let's read it together. Not necessarily out loud. If you want to, you can. But let's read it together, if you've got your Bibles. And he said to me, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked around around about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept saying within themselves, questioning one another, what rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he saith unto them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and that they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. And when they came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitudes answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which had a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. And he answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. When he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it casts him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. And help us? And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, 
all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit and said unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead in so much that they said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he's coming to the house, his disciples ask him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. Father, I pray for just a few minutes this morning that you will help us as we look at your word and as we look at our lives, as we look at your church, and that, Lord, you will help us to hear what you are saying to us as your people today. And that, Lord, your message would come through and that you will help us today, Lord, to hear what it is that you're saying to us as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I was remembering not long ago some of those early memories at uh, Victory Chapel when we first started out in Indianapolis. The time that we had a combined Spanish-English Christmas Eve service, our Spanish congregation and English church that came together and we had 200 plus people packing out this Christmas Eve service with candlelights and with songs. I remember that first team meeting that we had in our living room as that group gathered around and we shared and God's spirit came and met us there. Remember the heartbreaking funeral of three-month-old Annabelle Grace who passed away the same age as our little Sarah. I remember the day that Victory Village Shop opened for business for the first time. I remember the first planting day at Victory Acres. I I remember Mary and Gerald and Bill and Andre and Daryl and Debbie and Thomas and a whole host of others that have been taken from us and are now in eternity. So many memories. I remember, and I don't think I'll ever be the same, I I came there as a kid, a 19-year-old kid, and I came to change the city, and the city changed me. God used those people, those relationships that He placed me in, to change me in some profound ways. And the people and the experiences and the stories and the community have impacted me in some profound ways. Watching and listening and helping and loving those people has shaped me. Wrestling with the that real issues have kept me in constant reflection on what it really means to be true to the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it really mean to be a Christian? And I guess that's one of the reasons why when I came back to the church building when we were pastoring there in Indianapolis 
and found a lady sleeping on the church steps. I was confronted with a question. What were we to do with this modern day man, or in this case woman among the tombs, mentally unstable? She decided to take her chances sleeping on the street rather than going to the shelter down the street. And her story is as long as it is confusing and her problems are very real. But what am I supposed to do about that? And I guess the real question behind all that is what would Jesus do about that? And what should his church be doing for the Renee Maries of this world? I believe I know what Jesus would do. He would make her whole. He would heal her. In a moment in time, He would transform the brokenness of her life in one powerful act of goodness. He did it again and again and again through Scripture. He would heal her. And so the question that I'm left with and the question that I want us to think about today is, so why is the church, the continuing manifestation of Christ in the world, seemingly so powerless? Are we truly following in the footsteps of Jesus? Or are we doing something else? Have we been sidetracked into doing the good that ultimately has become the enemy of the best? Because when I look at Jesus' life and I see Jesus and we're supposed to be followers of Jesus, there's a disconnect between what I see in Scripture, what I see in a passage of Scripture like this, and what I see in the place where we're at. What would Jesus do if he lived at 5656 West 64th Street in Chicago, Illinois? What would he do with the problems and perplexities that surround this place and that surround the place where you live and where we live? The answer to that question is probably more complicated than it looks. And it's complicated by the noise that surrounds us the differences that divide us, and many times the agendas that we acquire. We don't listen very well to each other or to God. We already have a plan. And if Jesus will just bless that plan, we're going to get along just nicely. We know what we want to do already. The question is, are we concerned about what Jesus wants us to be doing? We want our way. And we're going to find a way to get it. It may not be bad. It may be let us build three tabernacles here and stay for a while. <laughs> that may be our idea of what needs to happen. Like dear brother Peter in this passage of scripture. But God's word is, listen to my beloved son. Hear him. And the question is, are we hearing him? The church, the body of Christ, is the continuing manifestation of Christ in the world. That's what Scripture teaches us. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are members together one of another. Isn't that what the Scripture tells us? Christ is present in His church. And so the fact is that Jesus does live here at 5656 
West 64th Street, and a lot of other places. There's one church, but there's many different expressions. And Jesus is speaking to His church and through His church. But what is He saying? What does it really mean for us to be His church in this place? What is His wisdom? What is His will? And if we're really focused on Him, if we're really focused on Him, I believe we can know. I really do believe that God wants to guide us as His people. He doesn't want to just leave us wandering about saying, I'm not quite sure what it is that we're supposed to be doing. We can know. We will know. But many times it's our own fallenness that keeps us from knowing. We've already got a plan. And like Brother Peter, we're happy to tell everybody about our plan. Even though that's not God's plan at all. Let's just build three tabernacles up here on the mountain, Jesus. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elias. And we can just stay here. We can have camp meeting. We can have a great time. This is a wonderful experience. This is a wonderful place, Jesus. We just need to stay here. And have this religious experience. And have this wonderful time where we feel things. But meanwhile, back in the valley, there are the disciples. There are those mountaintops experiences with Jesus where we see Him clearly and when we see what He wants us to be doing clearly. And then there are the moments when we feel like those disciples left in the valley to wrestle with doubt and fear and needs that just won't go away. The crowds of gawkers have gathered and the people that don't really care to help, they're there. But they would like to see a good show And so they show up to see the show. And the Pharisees are there. They're not there to heal anybody. They're just there to criticize and condemn. And say, well, that's not the way you should have done it. And it's been a long time since they've been this happy about anything. Here are Jesus' disciples. Jesus' helpless followers. And then there's this man whose son is afflicted. He's hurting. He's disappointed. He believed. He showed up. That's the reason he came. Jesus was his last best hope. But then he arrived and found out that Jesus wasn't even there. Instead, there was just this well-mannered, well-meaning group of people with a lot of nice words, but who were just as powerless as he was to do anything about His demon-possessed son. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You don't know how it is here, but there have been a lot of times when I've gone places and, you know, there are the gawkers who show up for the show. They want to see what's going to happen at the church. Maybe something strange, maybe something interesting. I'm not quite sure why I'm here, but I'm here and I'm just here to see what happens. They're just a spectator and they don't really care. They're not going to get involved. They're not going to get behind anything. They're not interested in helping anything happen, but they're here just to see. 
And they're the Pharisees. They're not interested in helping anyone, seeing anyone made whole. They've got their scorecard out to figure out if Pastor Martin is doing it just right or not. To give him points for this, take off points for that, and decide, yeah, I'll give him a B minus. I'll give him a C plus. The Pharisees, they're there to discredit the work of Jesus. And then there are the people, the people who come for help. They come looking for answers. They don't have any answers in their life. And they show up at this place. Or a lot of other places. No, there are not very many of them. And there are far more of the others. But they do show up. And what do they find? When they arrive here, do they find the body of Christ Do they come in to find that Jesus is here or do they find that there are a group of well-meaning people like those dear disciples and the lights are on, but Jesus is not at home? Instead, there's just a group of people that mean well and they have a lot of nice words, but they're just as powerless as they are. The question I want to ask us today is this. Is Jesus present in His church? Or not? And are we as His people determined that He will be present in our lives in such a degree that when we come to His church that He will be present with us and that He will be present among His people and that when people show up they are going to be able to experience the risen Christ. Are we willing to determine that this is going to be more than just a place that we come each week and get our religious goods and services? You know, a lot of times people view the church like that. They view it the same way they view their grocery store. They call it their church like they call Meyer their grocery store. It's not theirs. It doesn't belong to them. They come and they get something from it. They're consumers. They come to Meijer because they like the fresh fruits and vegetables, but they may go to Aldi's to get their canned goods, you know, because it's cheaper. And they may go over here to Walmart to get the other stuff because, you know, they don't like that price at Meijer, but they get what they get and they get what they want. And many times people see the church the same way. And so the question that they show up asking is, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And so if we're not careful, what we do is we play into that. We say, well, okay, you want this? Okay, we'll give you that. Let's do this, and let's change that, and let's make this change, and let's do this other thing. Because we want to capture more of the market share. We want to make sure that we're marketing it correctly to people. But unfortunately, five years later, they're just as lost as they were the first day they walked in the door. Why? Because, well, they've experienced a great religious show. They've never seen Jesus. Some people see the church as a social service agency. I've watched many churches in Indianapolis, there in the inner city of Indianapolis, that that gradually slowly the the congregation began to dwindle and die 
until there really wasn't any purpose in the church remaining open as a church, but they didn't want to just quit, and so they just started doing stuff. Some of it was good stuff. Let's have a food pantry. Let's begin to have a clinic here for the people that need help that way. There are lots of good things that you can do with a church building that's empty. And so we begin to do those things. And there are government grants that help us to do those things. And so pretty soon, the tail is wagging the dog. We've got all kinds of good stuff going on. All kinds of good stuff. Stuff that needs to be done, probably by somebody. But the question is, what are we supposed to be doing? A few years ago, under George W. Bush's administration, they had the Office for Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. Anybody remember that? Good idea. Let's get the church to do all these things that need to be done, good stuff, and we'll pay the church people to do it. We'll give them money. Now, they can't talk about Jesus and do all that other stuff, but we'll let them do the social service stuff. There were a lot of people that began to do that. Begin to buy into that. But I I remember reading an article published by the Polis Center entitled 10 Good Questions About Faith-Based Partnerships and Welfare Reform. And the author observed this, quote, There is no way for a congregation to build the administrative capacity necessary to write grants, administer programs, and evaluate services without changing some of its internal dynamics. And one poignant question that a civic leader asked in that article hit me like a ton of bricks. If a church does social service, who will do what congregations used to do? The reality is nobody's going to do it. Your local United Way is not going to have a Bible study. It's not going to teach people about Jesus and the life-transforming power of Jesus in their lives. It's not going to do that. It may do a lot of good things, but it's not going to do that. And all the other lodges and societies and rotary clubs and all kinds of other places may do good things, civic things, but they're not going to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't, people, who will? If we don't show them Jesus, who will? You know, the reason it burdens me so much is that, you know, I see churches that have abandoned the mission. They have a great social club. They become a community club, a a nice place for people to hang out. And it becomes kind of like, you know, the Moose Lodge without beer. You know, it's it's kind of a nice place to hang out. It's a decent place to hang out. A place where people even enjoy hanging out and finding a a network of like-minded people. But people who are lost. People who have never been transformed by the power of the risen Christ. As the church collective and as a local expression of the body of Christ, who are we called to be? Friends, I believe that our work must flow out of the answer to that question. And we cannot allow all of the possible alternatives to that to become what we buy into. But many times as we lose our effectiveness as a church, the temptation is to try something else in order to try to remain relevant, to try to justify our existence. It reminds me a little bit of the chaplain. General George Patton called into his office 
according to the story, shortly before D-Day. And he ordered the chaplain, he told the chaplain, point blank, I need you to pray and get me good weather for this particular day. And the chaplain demurred and said, I'm sorry, I I can't just tell God what he's going to do. He said, I am telling you, I am ordering you to get me good weather for this particular day. The chaplain again said, I'm sorry, I I can't do that. I'll pray, but I I can't tell God whether he's going to give us good weather or not. General George Patton bellowed at the man, If you can't even get me good weather, then what the blank good are you? There are a lot of people that are looking at the church today and asking the same question. If the church can't do this for me, then what good is it? And if we're not careful as the church, we begin to change to try to fit the culture that's around us. And said, no, 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 really, really, we are relevant. See, see, we're willing to change. We're willing to change. It's okay. We'll get with your program. We'll get on your page. But the reality is, friends, that God has called us to a very specific work. His work is for us to be His hands and feet in this place. To live out what it really means to be His church. And what our churches desperately need today is the power and the presence of the risen Christ. We don't just need more programs. We don't just need better presentation. We don't just need a better music program or flashier preaching or PowerPoint presentations. What we need is what the church has always needed. We need Jesus. We need Jesus at work in our lives. We need Jesus at work in our homes. We need Jesus at work in our church. And we need to be willing to take every other agenda item that we have off And say, Jesus, whatever you want to do, we're willing. Can I ask you this question today? I was talking a little bit about this to Martin last night. If this church didn't have a bank account, and this church didn't have a building, and this church didn't have a paid pastor, Would you still have a church? What is it that makes a church? What is it that actually constitutes a church? And the reason I ask that question is because I've been in plenty of places when we were first starting out in Indianapolis with no building meeting around picnic benches with homeless neighbors and drug addicts and prostitutes and bringing my pot of soup that I bought with my tip money the night before working at Steak and Shake, driving it down in my little 1985 Chevy Celebrity and taking it out and putting it on a picnic bench 
and sharing it with the homeless neighbors that slept out in the back of the park and doing all that as a volunteer with nobody paying me and nobody telling me that I had to do it. And I watched as God formed his church. I watched as God worked in lives. I watched as he transformed those lives. I watched as those relationships grew and blossomed. I watched as God did what only he can do without any bank account, without any support from the outside at first, without anything. I remember as God blessed us with a place to meet that actually had a bathroom. I remember crying the first time we walked into the care center. It was a homeless shelter for women and children. We walked in that place, and the thing I was most excited about was they had a bathroom. Oh, it was a blessing. We'd gone for a long time in the park with no bathrooms. And so our ox was perpetually in the ditch. We drove down to Hardy's anytime somebody had to go. We just load up the car. and Anybody need to? Yeah, we, we all went. And that was, that was how it worked. But God blessed us in some amazing ways and in little ways and in big ways all along the way. He took care of us. I remember as we graduated from, from college and I was trying to figure out, you know, do, do I can keep hanging out with this just ragtag group of homeless people down here in the inner city and keep doing this? Or am I going to go get a real church? You know? Which direction am I going to go? And I remember, ironically, as I was getting ready to pull out of Union Bible College one morning, one early morning, to, to come here. And my car broke down. As I was driving to Chicago, and thankfully it broke down like 300 feet from campus, the fuel pump had gone out, and I'm walking back in the early morning sun and God speaking to my heart and saying, why do you have to drive four hours to get to a place to minister when you live on the doorstep of a major city? Why don't you bloom where you're planted? And so I did. And God began to grow that little tiny ministry there in Indianapolis and begin to blossom those relationships and begin to form a church you know what I found? Jesus can bring people together. And Jesus can save people from sin with no building, with no bank account, with no organization. He can do it. I watched him do it. And so the question is, as God is at work in this place and has been at work in this place and you do have the asset of a building and you do have a little money in the bank and you do have a pastor that's able to devote some of his time to the work of reaching out and helping people. What are we to do with that? And what does God want to be doing with that? And what is it that he's calling us to? Well, I think part of the answer is in this passage of Scripture. You see, as Jesus' disciples slipped up to him after this boy had been healed, after this poor father who comes looking for answers and finding none from these disciples, finally Jesus shows up and in one moment of time, he heals him. And then his disciples say, why couldn't we do that? 
Why could we not do that? And Jesus gives them this one line. He says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Are we as God's people willing to devote ourselves to prayer, to fasting, and to the ministry of the word? You know, in Acts chapter 6, there was a situation where there were a bunch of people who weren't getting fed because some people thought they were racist. You know, the, these people are getting fed and these widows aren't getting fed and it's because of our race. That's the problem. And the disciples had to step in and say, wait, just a second, just a second, let's solve this problem. And so they appointed seven men. But they asked a question, and it's an important question. They said, why should we leave prayer and the ministry of the word to wait on tables? It's important. Are people eating important too? Yes. But they said there are some things that are first shelf priority. And the question is, are we willing to make that a priority? Are, we willing to ma- are you willing to make that a priority in your life? Are you willing to spend the time so that when you come, And that person comes that desperately needs Jesus. You have Jesus with you. We have what they need. Now friends, I understand that there are some people today that are broken. And there are many different ways that God chooses to heal them. He may choose to heal them in a moment of time. And He also may use the relationships. He may... Use the people of God in a place to bring His healing over a space of time. But the question is, are we as His people willing to seek Him and to have His power active in our midst and in our lives so that when people come into contact with us as the church, as the body of Christ in this place, that they come into contact with Jesus Himself. A few years ago, God began to deal with my heart. I never would have said it like this, but rolling around in my head somewhere was this idea that I'm going to do my time down in the inner city and then I'm going to go, you know, get a decent church someplace, someplace else. (laughs) I never would have said that out loud, but there was that in my mind that I was too good for this place. I was too good. I could be better used somewhere else. And God began to deal with my heart there. And saying, Eric, are you willing, if this is where I want you, are you willing to stay here for the rest of your life? Are you willing to commit yourself radically to these people in this place? I've been in relationship with a lot of pastor friends. I think the average stay of a pastor now is 2.5 years, according to the national statistics at any given church. So congratulations, Martin. You've been here a long time. 2.5 years before God calls them somewhere else. Now, call me skeptical, but I'm just a little skeptical of that. The reality in many cases is I'm out of sermons. These people are driving me crazy. I hate the weather. I'm moving. 
But what we say is, we feel like God is calling us somewhere else. That's what we say. I'm just a little skeptical of that because I felt like there were times when God was calling me somewhere else. But I was out of sermons. I was tired of these people. I hated the weather. (laughs) And there would be probably somewhere else out there that would be a little easier than this place. (laughs) Just to be honest. And God began to deal with my heart and say, are you willing to commit here? Are you willing to submit yourself here? And I began to really pray about that. And God brought me to the place, finally. I remember preaching that sermon that Sunday. I said, you know, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is, well, could be bad news for some of you. I'm committing here for life. I'm here. But the bad news is, Pastor Eric is going out of business. What I mean by that is, I'm not going to do it for you, but I will do it with you. I'm committing myself here. And whether that means me working at McDonald's down the street to support my family and continuing to be here... Uh, as a member and as a part and leading and helping where it's needed, I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. But I'm no longer going to be your professional Christian for hire. You can't fire me because I quit. I'm done. I'm done just doing it for you. But I will do it with you. Now, who's going to join me? And I remember as God began to bring together a group of people who were no longer just casually committed and saying, you know what, yeah, I like my church, like I like my Meyer, like I like my Walmart. No, I am committed, and I'm willing to put, my, put myself there. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. I'm willing to, to step up and be committed In a deeper way, I am here. And I am submitting myself and radically committing myself to the church in this place. Count me in. I'm in. It wasn't a big group. It wasn't all the people on Sunday morning. But there were a group of people that began to to commit themselves to that. And they began to gather in my living room. and, And we would talk most of the time on Thursday nights, but we would talk after we'd had chicken noodle soup or something else, and we begin to hash through the issues of, of what it really meant for us to be the church in this place. We begin with that question, what does it really mean for us to be the church in this place? And as we begin to grapple with that question, you know what we begin to come up with? You know, there are a lot of people in our congregation that are available. Now, you would call them unemployed, or they don't have a job. But they're available. There's nothing on Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is looking pretty clear. They're available. We've got lots of buildings that are available. Now, you would call them things like vacant or abandoned, but they're available. (laughs) And so what if we began to put some of these available people to work in some of these available places, and we were able to begin to develop something? And and so right there in our living room, we began to talk and pray and look, and, and we started this thing called Victory Village Shop. And we began to do this, and it gave us an excuse to be together. And God did some incredible things there. And as we took a step of faith, God opened doors and brought 
resources that we didn't even think were ever available and did some great things there. But for us, it started with the step of saying, what does it mean for us to be the church here? What does it really mean for us to be the called out ones of God, to be His people? And then what is it that He's calling us to? Friends, we're surrounded today by a community that desperately needs the message that we have. The question is, how are we going to reach them? How are they going to hear it? How are we going to communicate that message to them? And how are we going to begin to see those people come into relationship with us as His people in this place and then see their lives transformed by the power of Jesus and see them become disciples of Jesus? I don't know exactly what God is going to do here. But I believe He has a plan and a purpose for the expression of the body of Christ in this place. I believe that. It is no accident that you're here. It is no accident that this church is in the place that it is. It's no accident. And God has people all over this place that He wants to use this church to be His agent of grace and His agent of change in their life. But the question is, are we willing to get with His program? Are we willing to put ourselves on His page? Are we willing as His disciples to say, Jesus, what we're doing is not working. We're powerless. We don't have what we need. And become desperate enough to pray and to fast and to seek God until together we do hear from heaven. And we know that this is what God is calling us to do. And that we pursue that with everything that's in us. Friends, I believe Jesus is still the answer. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. And my prayer, my desire today is that somehow God would help us to so believe that Jesus is the answer that we are willing then to put all the resources that He has placed in our disposal on the table and say, Lord, I'm in. I'm radically committing everything that You've given me to the cause of seeing your work move forward in this place. You know, I believe that God wants to bring transformation to the people that are around us. But if we're really not convinced that Jesus is the answer, why in the world would we spend time and energy trying to tell somebody else about that? You know, I, I say Jesus is the answer, and you say Jesus is the answer, but do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? 
Or do we just kind of Sunday school believe that? Yeah, I believe Jesus is the answer. Or do we really believe that? I believe that what the church needs today is the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus shows up, he makes all the difference. And so my prayer would be that somehow, as we would pray and seek him, that we would truly rediscover again that Jesus Christ is present in his church. He is here. And he is the message and he is the person that everyone else around us desperately needs. There's a little song that I'd like to share with you in closing this morning. A few years ago, as I was... uh, Starting out in Indianapolis, three years ago, as I was starting out there in Indianapolis, there was uh, one evening where we went out to try to find uh, somebody that needed to know about Jesus, <laughs> and uh, as we were just uh, trying to find somebody. <laughs> we weren't quite sure how to start, but saw this little lady sitting out on her porch, kind of minding her own business, and stopped there and met Betty. I said, we're trying to find somebody that like to study the Bible. You know anybody like that? Uh, wasn't quite sure how to start. I'm not sure that was the right way to start, but that's the way I started. She, she said no. I said, well, what about you? Have you ever studied the Bible? She said, no. I said, well, do you have a Bible? She said, no. I said, well, do you mind if I just come up and share a little something with you here? I've got a little picture I want to draw for you. She said, sure, come on up. And so I sat down on the porch there next to her, and I began to share with her a little picture, a little diagram Nothing fancy, but it it explained the basic message of the Bible. And in the end, I asked her a question. I said, so where would you say you're at on all this? Would you say you're in a right relationship with God or or not? She she indicated she wasn't. And I, I asked her, I said, would you like to be? And you know what she said? She said, yes. And right there on her porch that evening, without, without uh, two verses of just as I am or anything, you know, no invitation, anything, just we prayed. And God saved her. It was amazing to see the transformation that took place in Betty's life. We came back and we had Bible studies with her each week and she was growing, she was asking questions, she was reading her Bible It was about a year after that meeting. I went to visit Betty in the hospital. And I asked Betty, I said, Betty, are you sure everything's clear between you and God? She gave me a great big smile, shook her head yes. And that night she died. I preached her funeral. And I remember at that funeral, I I told the story of how she'd come to faith in Jesus and I told them how they could. 
But the realization that hit me as we were about to commit her body to the ground was this. That forever was different for Betty because of that night. And friends, all around where we're at here today, there are people who are so lost, so incredibly, incredibly lost. And they're headed for eternity. And we have a message that can make the difference, not just in their lives here, not just give them a better life here, but it can bring them eternal life. Why in the world would we not share that? Why in the world would we somehow think that anything else could be more important than a message like that? (laughs) A message that can transform time and eternity. (laughs) If we really do believe that without Jesus, that people are going to be lost forever, forever. (laughs) Why in the world would we not be doing our, our absolute best to somehow... Anyway, any way possible, communicate that to the people that are around us. Around that same time, God gave me this little song, and I want to share this with you this morning in closing. But it asks the question who will go and tell them about Jesus? And I don't know where you're at in all this this morning, but today, if, if God is speaking to your heart, and this morning you realize that somehow, you need more of the power and the presence of God in your life. And today you'd like to seek God. I'd just like to invite you to step out of your seat where you're at and come and talk to Him today. As we close today, this is our invitation, but it asks the question, will you go and tell them about Jesus? And, and I want you to think about this this morning, not in, only in relationship to yourself, but in relationship to this church. And ask God, Lord, what can I do? There's a little boy in the inner city who's never heard the name of Jesus. There's a little girl in a jungle village Who needs to hear it too? Meanwhile, we sit in our churches singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound when a man is lost and dying. Right next door in our hometown. Will you go and tell him about Jesus? Telling the lost who never heard about the living word. Will you go and tell them about Jesus? Or will you leave? your life for selfish enterprise will you take the only life you'll ever have and live for self and
and let it pass? Or will you take the only light you'll ever have and shine for Christ and see in last? There's a boy named James who's near the edge thinking that no one cares about his life. A girl named Jen is dying too. She knows abortion's not the answer. But what else is she going to do? Would this story have a different ending? (laughs) If someone stopped someone cared would this story have a different ending if you would hurt if you would share will you go and tell them about Jesus telling the lost who've never heard about the living word Will you go and tell them about Jesus? Or will you live your life for selfish enterprise? Will you take the only life you'll ever have and live for self? Let it pass. Will you take the only light? ever have and shine for Christ and see and last you see the choices we will make in life are not about just good and bad but little things like will we stop or will we care Will you dare to make a difference in this world in which you're living, in this world lost and dying, so sad and alone? Will you go and tell them about Jesus, telling the lost who never heard about the living word? Will you go? Tell them about Jesus. Will you go? Will you go? Father, we thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. Lord, I pray that somehow you will help this to be more than just another sermon. Lord, I pray that you would bring a determination to our hearts individually and collectively. Lord, we've got to have your presence in our midst. We've got to have your power. Lord, we're not willing to go on just playing church, just having 
religious goods and services. But Father, we've got to have you. And we're going to spend the time in prayer and in fasting. We're going to spend the time seeking you until we have you. And then seeing your power make a difference in the lives of the people that are around us. Lord, I thank you for the group that's here today. Lord, I thank you for their commitment to you and to this place. And so, Father, I pray today that you will take this message. And Lord, I pray that you would re-preach it in ways that I never could. Lord, as the people show up, as this man did in this story today that we read, Lord, I pray that somehow, Lord, you would give us the power to have something to bring to them, Lord, that will bring a transformation in their lives. Lord, we know that that only that only comes from you. So Lord, we thank you today for all that you're doing and that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I understand faith, it's not counting on me. It's the hope and assurance of what I can see. It's the daily relying on Jesus to be providing more grace faithfully. Further proving His great love for me. Grace for the moment, all that I need. Grace for the moment, and faith to receive the promises given to those.